0: You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. That's what it is. It's the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thanks for giving me some time today as I look out the second floor window of my dire domicile here in northwest Indiana. I see cloudy skies again, charcoal-bitten skies, only a few robins uh, out this morning. It's, uh, it's another crummy day, so if I do anything physically this weekend, is that, or this week, early on anyway, it'll be indoors, as you're probably lamenting, too, because I know you all have stuck to your New Year's resolutions. You're getting back into those pants that begin with the digit three, and you're, you're taking your 40 or 42 waist pants, and you're dropping them at the Salvation Army at the Goodwill. Right? One of those is kinder than the other. More... Humane, humanitarian, I should say. I can't remember which one it is, so I'm sorry I brought it up. But I will I will get back to commitment to excellence today, and that'll include the arm bike at my neighborhood health club and maybe some indoor long toss very, very soon with my high school pal Frankie Sartini. Uh, nonetheless, it's a chance this morning, whenever you're getting to this this afternoon, Tuesday morning in the case, of a guy who competes in pickleball still in, in central Indiana, my high school football coach. It's time to overanalyze the Bears draft picks from the weekend. And I've heard a lot of that already this morning. And I hear coming out of Dave that's mouth, same things I heard coming out of Brian Harlan's mouth, who is Dave's agent. And Dave represents the head football coach at the University of Minnesota. P.J. Fleck, so of course, Wani was jacked for the Bears drafting that little corner out of uh, out of Minnesota, Terrell Smith, in the fifth round, late in the fifth round. It's like I was talking to Harlan, listening to Wants that break that down. But you talk about positional needs, and the Bears dra- addressed most of them. There is the glaring omission of a pass rusher and let me correct the phraseology, it's 2023, an edge rusher. They didn't draft an edge rusher, had 10 picks, didn't take one of them, took a bunch of defensive tackles, and that's a good thing, especially um, as high as they picked their their first one, Gervon Dexter, the kid from Florida with the 53rd pick overall. He had to wait a long time on Friday to get to the Bears' second pick. After committing to Darnell Wright to tackle out of Tennessee with the 10th pick Thursday night, the Bears go DT, and then cornerback Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami with the 56th selection. Overall, the Bears' second, second second-round pick. And then another DT out of South Carolina, Zach Pickens, with the 64th pick overall. You got to double those numbers almost to get to the Bears' next selection. In the fourth round, the running back from Texas, Roshan Johnson, who was 115 overall. I refuse to sit here and and pick nits over the 115th player drafted this past weekend. Or in the case of the wide receiver from Cincinnati, pick number 133, Tyler Scott. That's going to be overanalyzed today as well. It already has been what I will focus on are these two defensive tackles, Dexter and Pickens. Dexter and Pickens chosen 53rd overall and, again, 64th overall. So pretty much the same area, and they are expected to be the same type of players, guys who can do a lot of things inside, guys who can be the anchors on a 3-4 defense and play multiple gaps. They are both described... Almost the same way. They're very similar in size. Dexter's a little bit taller. Uh, I think he, they list him at 6'5". That's the first tackle they took, the dude from Florida. But they both say, the both draft analysis say he they should have better sack numbers than they do. That doesn't indicate their sack totals. Don't indicate how good of a pass rusher they are. Well, pressures also matter, and they are tracking those these days, and quarterback hits will be tracked, and that's something the Bears simply didn't effing have last year. Seven and a half uh, sacks from defensive linemen, that ain't going to do it. That's not why Philadelphia won the NFC. They finished third all-time in sacks, and their defensive linemen were incredibly active, and what did they do Thursday night? They go out and get the, the best defensive tackle available, Jalen Carter, albeit a guy with questionable character issues, and I think legitimately so. He looked really fat when we saw him Thursday night. That's not a good recipe. In uh, Georgia coaches bagged on him. You probably heard last Friday's podcast, so I will not be any more redundant. But the Bears getting defensive tackles who maybe can make a difference. And everybody's a maybe at this point. There are no certainties, and people need to stop talking like there are certainties. Just because the Bears have positional needs that were unaddressed, edge rusher, one of the first things I mentioned, doesn't mean they can't fix it before they start the season in September. Or even if they're lucky, a couple weeks at least before training camp, there will be salary cap casualties, excuse me, I get verklempt when thinking about the ways Matt Eberflus can uh, upgrade his defense. You're going to. You also have the benefit of having the first pick on waiver wire. If somebody's trying to sneak somebody through, uh, maybe re-sign them or just give up on somebody. The Bears think the guy has some mileage left. They can go and make that claim. There also are a few veteran edge rushers, edge rushers, who are not as Productive As they once were stopgap guys, I think is what you would call Yannick Nagakwe, who started with Jacksonville and he's been well-traveled since, or Frank Clark, who still has the big name, not quite as consistent as he once was, and a guy who drove Bears fans to madness, Leonard Floyd, His uh, his run with the Rams is up. Those are free agent options. Right now for the Bears, I'm not knocked out by any of the three, despite their absence of outside guys who were good, who were any good last year. And I think the outside linebackers they acquired in free agency are okay guys, but they're not prolific pass rushers, nor do they take the ball away. So you still have a ton of huge questions on that Bears defense. Who's wrecking game plans? Which is the guy? Is it is it Dexter the second round pick, who might be one of those guys who can uh, who can disrupt interior uh on the interior. And uh if it's not him, maybe it's Pickens. They seem like they're the same guy. Chosen only uh what, eleven picks apart. I do think it was time to get a running back when the Bears took at 115 their pick, their first of two fourth round picks. Roshan Johnson out of Texas, fine. They needed a replacement. For David Montgomery, who joins the overcrowded Detroit backfield, as of now, DeAndre Swift could be sent packing before the Lions report to training camp to look at their new stud, Jack Campbell, the 18th pick chosen Thursday night, the linebacker they could have had in round three. So you had to replace Montgomery. Roshan Johnson, fine. It's not a big investment if he makes the roster terrific if he contributes on special teams you got to have guys like that Tyler Scott is the interesting one the wide receiver out of Cincinnati drafted with the Bears last pick in the 4th round pick number 133 overall he is supposed to he was supposed to be a top 50 pick according to many scouting services Tyler Scott should have gone crazy earlier than he did and What I heard Wanstead talking about today was, what does that say about the Bears' draft room? They don't like the vibe in there, possibly. Draft room is more verbiage that can go, as far as I'm concerned. Not draft room, wide receiver room. The receiver room now, which is anchored by DJ Moore, acquired in the trade with Carolina. Chase Claypool now is is no longer the alpha, if he ever was. And Darnell Mooney slips down to number three. And you still have Equinemia St. Brown who people mocked, but it was a good signing at 1.25 million. He was very valuable to the Bears on special teams. You have to have guys who are third and fourth on the roster positionally at wide receiver who can do that. And Tyler Scott is supposed to be a guy who's decent at being a gunner. And you have to have guys who can do that because you got to assume there will be punts, and you have to have guys go down and disrupt punt, punt return and Scott could be one of those guys. It doesn't tell me anything about the wide receiver room vibe that they took a guy at 133. This is paralysis by over-analysis, and it's unnecessary. If the corner from Minnesota, chose him with the last pick in round five, Terrell Smith, if he's the player Brian Harlan thinks he is and the Gophers thought he was, should have been much higher in the draft. That's what they say. Okay, we'll take that. That's good because the Bears possibly are going to need help at corner. Tyreek Stevenson, I mentioned him, the second-round pick, the second of two second-round picks the Bears had from Miami. It gives them a little bit of uh, of depth with the uncertainty of Jalen Johnson. The uncertainty and inconsistency of Jalen Johnson. I, my expectations were much higher for this player than he's than he's shown us in his four seasons, three seasons with the Bears. The division is interesting, mostly because of what the Lions did, bailing on the number six pick and moving down for the 12th and 18th picks in the first round. And they don't get, they, which meant they're out of the Jalen Carter Derby. They're they're not interested in the next best pass rusher or disruptive defensive force on a team that just didn't stop anybody last year. Like the Vikings, they were not very good at defending the pass. Terrible at it, as a matter of fact. So they go running back with the Bama kid, Jameer Gibbs, who's supposed to be really good for what that's worth and the great Jack Campbell, not the son of head coach Dan Campbell, the Iowa linebacker and that upset Lions fan. So they're going to be interesting to watch from that standpoint. The Packers no longer with Aaron Rodgers. And a quarterback room that consists of Jordan Love, Danny Etling, and who was last year's practice squad player, and rookie fifth-rounder Sean Clifford from Penn State. Welcome to Green Bay, Sean Clifford. The Vikings also welcomed a quarterback in the fifth round. BYU's Jaron Hale, Jay, I'm sorry, Jalen Hall, their first-round pick, who joins Nick Mullins in the Vikings' quarterback room. Their wide receivers got better Thursday night when they picked Jordan Addison, the USC wide out to assist with Justin Jefferson. So Green Bay with its quarterbacks who succeed the weird beyond belief Aaron Rodgers, and their weird pick of Lucas Van Ness of Iowa at number 13. These these Iowa dudes, man, 13 and 18 and in the division make it really fun to watch for me this coming season. And where do I think the bears fall in all this, where their roster is set today with what I think of their talent. They are at best right now. And this is a compliment because they were three and 14 last year. They are at best right now, a nine win team, maybe 10. And they've got an easy schedule. And the division isn't as good. At least it's not as good in Green Bay until further notice. Aaron Rodgers kicked the Bears' asses no matter how much he might have fallen in recent years. In Detroit, will it follow the offensive prowess it showed last year under Jared Goff? That remains to be seen. Did they F up the draft? Quite possibly they did and could have had better players who made their defense better. And the Vikings still have Kirk Cousins in a defense that is suspect and getting very old. Um, they're back seven, as some like to refer to it. Um, you get it. Um, they're, they're old, and they're not very good anymore. So very interesting weekend for the Bears. I refuse to put graves on it. I think uh, if you're looking at what they did to address their positional group, I, I think they get an A. Most importantly, for what they did on the defensive t- at the defensive tackle position, um, you got to give them an incomplete for or an F for what they did with edge rusher because they haven't addressed it yet. Ten picks, not one of them an edge rusher. So those are two critical in a- offensive line. You know it's all swinging on one guy primarily, and that's the first round pick, Darnell Wright. If he's worthy of being pick number ten. Overall, they get an A, even though he's the only O-lineman they chose all day, all weekend. Uh, I don't really have too much for you on the White Sox. Exciting win yesterday. In case you left the planet, Andrew Vaughn hit a three-run walk-off jack that capped a seven-run ninth inning as the Sox finally win a game against the Tampa Bay Rays. Thank God, Sox fans. You're done with Tampa and have a day off. 12-9 the final yesterday, break up the White Sox. They know what it's like to win a game at the big league level. And, you know, questions are being raised. I wouldn't buy it. Typically, on the 1st of May in a baseball season, but when you're asking about a general manager's, uh, you know, tenure coming to an end, this is worthy of it. Rick Hahn has had a long time. They're one of the worst rosters in baseball. His pitching staff, only the Oakland Athletics, in their less than forty million dollar budget have have allowed more walks and have a worse team whip walks and hits per innings pitched than do the White sox. The White sox are in the one point mid fives to oakland's one point seven one or a point, uh, 171, 1.71, I saw it today among the worst they walk people. The White Sox don't take walks, on the other hand. They're on base percentages, not what it needs to be. And Luis Robert was benched over the weekend. It's falling apart at the seams very early in this baseball season. And the White Sox have a day off before starting a series against the Twins and, and revisit the errors of their way. And we'll see today if there are any roster moves or front office moves. I don't anticipate it. It would not be White sox to make a change with the front office in the middle of a baseball season. I can't remember them ever doing that. Ron Schuler to Kenny Williams was an off-season transition. Williams to Hahn was an off-season uh, deal. They don't do that in the middle of the season, and guys typically don't get fired by the White Sox. Even Ozzie Guillen wasn't fired. He was traded to the Florida Marlins or Miami Marlins, whoever they were that week. So uh, Cubs' crappy weekend weekend. Uh, Pitchers not finding the strike zone and they're sinking in terms of where they they stack up against other teams, pitching staffs, after a very fine first 20 games and change. The Cubs now are on their way. They're at the bottom of baseball's top 10 in walks in hits per innings pitched and uh, batting average against and all the important statistics there. But the Cubs weren't expected to be that good. So no harm, no foul. My last thought I have for you as we begin this first week of May is is unique for me. I rarely have a ton of sympathy for other cities when it comes to their sports disappointment because we've lived enough of it in Chicagoland. If you're old enough to remember the 69 Cubs as I am, And the 71 and 73 Blackhawks, both of whom got beaten by the Montreal Canadiens in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. And you went as long as everybody did before the Bears copped their first titles in 63 when they won it in January of 86. And the White Sox and a long, long drought since 1917 before they won their only three series in franchise history since the 17 World Series, all in 0-5. So they win one. The Blackhawks win three in 10, 13, and 15, and the Cubs get theirs in in 2016. And did I forget the team that, that – put six banners at the ra- in the rafters at the United Center. No, I didn't forget your Bulls. The Bulls, of course, would start the list. It's just the least emotional connectively for this guy. So we waited a long time before all five teams won titles. I was 49 when my favorite team, the Blackhawks, finally ended its 49-year drought. Yes, I was in my mother's tummy when the Hawks won it in 61 against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, moment of silence and sky point to Bobby Hall and Reg Fleming and all the members of the 61 Blackhawks. Poor Boston fans today. How do you say this after the Patriots win six Super Bowls in this century and had Tom Brady in their lap all those years and the greatest coach in Bill Belichick? The Celtics, for older fans, are one of basketball's most storied and successful franchises. That is undeniable. Yes, most of it is in an era gone by. Russell, Havlicek, Cowens, the transition to Bird and Parish, and McHale, Dennis Johnson, and the transition to the last group that won it in 8 with KG and all of the the Celtic greats of recent vintage, but one title in this century. So they at least got that one like the Cubs got theirs. They just didn't have the 60s and 80s the way the Celtics had. And then the 90s, too, to some degree, although the Bulls sort of changed that, didn't they? Uh, at least in terms of getting deep into the conference uh, finals. In fact, I don't remember the Bulls and Celtics ever meeting in the conference finals in the 90s. Celtics didn't get that far. Uh, Bruins fans have to be just, just lifeless today. The Boston Bruins this year set an NHL record for most wins in a regular season with 65. They tallied 135 points to win the president's trophy, given annually to the team with the most points in the NHL, Like the 65 regular season wins, the Bruins 135 points, most in NHL history. They go out in round one. Patrice Bergeron, the captain of the Bruins, a 19-year veteran, missed the first four games of the series, but it didn't matter because the Bruins took a 3-1 lead on the Florida Panthers. Bergeron was believed to have had an illness the team wouldn't announce shockingly in any sport but in particular hockey an illness and not even an upper body lower body because it could be either if it's an illness and they were masking an injury he didn't talk about his injury he came back in games five six and seven and the bruins lost every F effing one of them they lost out after leading the florida freaking panthers three games to one Last night at TD Garden in Boston, the Panthers won it 4-3 to in overtime. It was the second overtime win for Florida in three nights. They also won an OT in game five. The curse of the President's Trophy is a real thing. It rarely is broken. And when it is, we embrace it because it is a really cool thing. For me, to see a hockey team go wire to wire and finish with the most points, it doesn't mean shit in the playoffs, as the Bruins just proved. But, man, it can make for a fun six-month ride. And the last time a team that won the President's Cup, President's Trophy, won the Stanley Cup, was 10 years ago, your Chicago Blackhawks, who had an amazing, in a labor-strife-shortened season of 48 games, had an amazing stretch of 24 games before they lost the game in regulation. 24 games they went. And because of the work stoppage, there were three or four games every week. What a great ride that didn't start until right around the first of the year. And every couple of nights, we're watching the new Blackhawks, a much different roster barring a half a dozen core players from the 2010 team. What Scotty Bowman did to reshape that roster, you know the stories, after being overcommitted financially to the Dustin Bufflins of the world and having to move along from him, having to lose Anthony Niemi, the goaltender, to San Jose. That was to keep Nicholas Jalmerson from taking a deal, I think also with the Sharks. Now, they wound up trading him to Arizona for Connor Murphy. Uh, a few years later, but you didn't want to part with the young uh, shot-blocking defenseman at the time, and I'm glad they didn't. It was a good move, and they found Corey Crawford, and he won that cup in 13, backed up by Ray Emery, the late Ray Emery. What an exciting ride that was, and what an appropriate finish, such an appropriate finish to that great regular season that provided so much theater night after night, poor Bruins fans. You don't say that about Bostonians very often. This is a, this is a city that lives and dies with sports. And I've spent time there only, only covering white Sox and red Sox games. I did. I did do some things socially in Boston at the Samuel Adams brewery a couple of times and going to games at Fenway. I've never seen a game at Gillette stadium, unfortunately, I have seen the Hawks and Bruins. I saw games, what, uh, I saw game six. I was definitely there for the clincher. Also there for games three and four, if, uh, if memory serves, during the 2013 Cup Final. And Bergeron, Patrice Bergeron was on that roster in 2013. He's a free agent right now. There's uncertainty as to whether number 33 returns to the Bees. He's one of the most beloved athletes in the 21st century in that town. And David Krejci, a 16-year veteran also is up. He of course also was on that team that challenged the Hawks in 6 in 2013 10 years ago. He could be elsewhere and it could be a changing of the guard in Boston, but man to do so much over six months to win 65 NHL games is a crazy, awesome accomplishment, 135 points. Are you freaking kidding me, man? And to go out in round one, I know just a little bit of what that felt like. Actually, it felt like a lot at the time in 91 when the Blackhawks finished with 106 points. Now this is before shootouts, It's before four-on-four hockey. So 106 points meant a shit ton in 1991, 90 and 91, when the Hawks edged the Blues with 106 points. And what a fun team it was. What a fun ride. What a great circus trip they had that began in Buffalo on a Friday night. They went through Western Canada and blitzed perennial pains in the ass Edmonton, Calgary, went to Vancouver, swung down through California, beat the Kings in an ugly game, and they wound up finishing in St. Louis on a Saturday night, lost that game in a Donnybrook. That was on March 16th of 91. I remember because it was the day before the the St. Patrick's Day massacre, that 6 o'clock puck drop. Chicago wasn't drunk enough on St. Paddy's Day. You needed to see the soon-to-be President's Cup winning Blackhawks go toe-to-toe with the St. Louis Blues in an eventual 6-4 win, 372 minutes and penalties assessed on the night. The Hawks had such a great effing ride that year, and they get clipped by the Minnesota freaking North Stars in round one. The North Stars had 68 points. They made it all the way to the final that year. They lost to the Penguins the first of two. The Hawks got there the next year in 92, but the president's trophy ride meant nothing you'll get nothing and like it or not i feel bad for the bruins fans today and that will uh, that will conclude my sympathy for them and anything in the city of boston thank you very much for listening back later in the week and i will get to the mailbag i know i have promised this in recent shows and have not delivered at Danny Mac670. If you want to get to me regarding anything you hear on the podcast, any questions you might have, comments on things going on in Chicago or national sports, feel free to get at me on Twitter or on Facebook. Adam Delavit is Baby Capone. He takes care of all the business at Pet Rivers Podcast Network, assisted by Alex Pastor and a gang of thousands. Adam Delavitt, thank you so very much for all you do. And Sam Michael, my executive producer cheer up. It won't be raining forever. Have a great couple of days. And I'll be back on Thursday with more on the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers podcast network. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers network.